This morning's Parsha opens with the familiar image and theme of the anti-Semite and dictator. The very, very beginning of the Parsha, we learned, Vayakom Melech Chadash. There arose a new king in Egypt, Velo Yada et Yosef, who did not know Joseph. He looked around and he saw that the Israelites were productive in terms of procreation and they filled the land. And so he decided that he was going to deal shrewdly with them and brings upon um, heavy taxation, increased workload, eventually slavery. Each tact that Pharaoh uses to try to oppress and keep the Israelites down fails. And after each failure, he subsequently escalates. More oppression, more slavery, more pain, until eventually he hatches a plan to kill all the baby boys and to send them uh, first, he instructs the midwives to do the task themselves. When that doesn't work, he then turns to the people and incites them to take all the male Israelite baby boys and throw them into the Nile. Each subsequent act continues to fail and is followed by an escalation until finally, as I said, he turns to a populist, populist approach and turns to the Egyptians themselves and incites them. Now, Maimonides, Rambam, is interested in the escalation. If Pharaoh's Pharaoh, if Pharaoh's king, and he doesn't like the Israelites, why not just go to the end of it and be done with it? Why does he have to go through this escalation? Why does he have to, as the Torah says, Hava nit lo? He has to deal shrewdly with the Israelites. And Maimonides answers, Lo ra'a paro yotzav lehachotam b'charev that Pharaoh and his counselors didn't see fit to begin their oppression by slaying them with the sword. Because it would have been treason, a gross treachery to smite this people without reason because even though this new king, the language by Yaakam Melech Hadash, is not just that some heir came to the throne, it's that there was some sort of revolution, some sort of rebellion, some sort of change of houses, so to speak, as to who was ruling Egypt at that time. And even though you have a new king from a new dynasty that's coming, says Maimonides that in Egypt, that king just couldn't have started to slay the Israelites because the former king is the one who invited them to come there. Uh, 
It's interesting because what Maimonides is hinting at is that even if you're the king, you can't just go from, I see these people, they're multiplying, they're going to be a problem for us to genocide. There is a stepped approach that you have to take in order to soften the community, um, to be willing to not only go along, but in the case of Egypt, to actually participate in it as well. That's Maimonides' point. That's his point. Sound familiar? Does it sound familiar? Thousands of years ago in Egypt, and yet we're still facing the same Mishigas from Pharaoh to Haman to Hitler to Hamas. Um, and it's the same, the same um, charges, the same claims that are being made against the Jews as were made against the Israelites. Look, we're too numerous. We'll take jobs, we'll take resources, we'll take your identity, destroy your culture, take your lives, take your land. I mean, after all, that's what from the river to the sea means. It means that we took the Palestinian land and so therefore we don't have a, a right to be there and any form of rebellion to destroy us and remove us is legitimate. The charges of genocide that are being floated around to such a point that the word has in many ways, as I said before, I think it's lost its meaning, is the same thing as we're, gonna, as we're taking people's lives without just cause, without care for, for humanity and for humanitarian concerns. And all of the anti-Semitism that is being experienced right now in Canada, in Toronto, around the world, is nothing more than creating the context by which violence becomes acceptable and even desirable. The firebombing that happened this week at the International Delicatessen Foods I don't know if it's a coincidence, but I doubt that it is, the initials being IDF, big letters on top of the store, right? Um, that firebombing didn't happen out of the context of 90 plus days of war and of anti-Semitism being leveled against the Jewish people. This is the state that we're living in. And so we turn to the Parsha, and we see in the Parsha, in some ways it's comforting, right? Because it's like, it's the same old, same old. 4,000 years later, we're still telling the same story. And for better or for worse, that story still includes anti-Semitism. And yet, it's comforting because 4,000 years, we're still here able to read from that Torah and able to learn those lessons and remind ourselves of certain basic elements of our history and our people, whether we like it or not.
And so the Torah also becomes a source for how do we respond to this ancient canard against the Jews. In the Parsha, we also find resistance and support that comes from many very interesting, very, 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 very interesting sources. The first is from the midwives, the Hebrew midwives. In verse 15, the Torah says, Vayomer melech mitzrayim la dota ivriot. And the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, and it gives them a name, Shem ha'achat shifra v'shem ha'shenit pua. And, God, and Pharaoh said to them, when you deliver the, the, the Hebrew woman, look at the birth stool. If it's a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. Um, but what did they do? The midwives feared God. And they didn't do as Pharaoh said. So the first, first element of resistance comes from the, from the midwives. Now, this identification of the midwives is somewhat ambiguous. Even though they're given a name of Shifra and Pua, which happen to be Egyptian names, there's all sorts of discussion within the commentaries as to, whether, as to who they were, actually. Were Shifra and Pua, as Rashi and others named them, actually Yocheved and Miriam, Moshe's mother and sister? Um, or... And I happen to think this is more likely, according to the Septuagint, the Greek translation, Josephus, and Abravanel, who is a 15th century Italian commentator. Um, Shifra and Pua couldn't have been Yocheved and Miriam, because it doesn't make sense that Pharaoh would have spoken to Hebrew, actual Israelite midwives, and commanded them to do something that they were not very likely to do, if he would be willing to talk to them even in the first place which is even more unlikely. So according to the other commentators, that these midwives must have been Egyptian, not Hebrews. Um, And that makes it even more compelling and important about their rebellion, that there were Egyptian midwives birthing Hebrew women who refused the order of Pharaoh. That takes courage. Because there is no doubt that if that's actually what happened, they would have been putting their own lives at risk. The second second story from the Parsha that provides us an example of resistance and support is also very surprising. It's but Pharaoh. It's Pharaoh's daughter herself. She opened the basket that was coming down the Nile River and she saw that there was a baby in it and was crying. And she took pity on it. She took pity on it. And she said, this must be a Hebrew child. Notice her first reaction. First reaction wasn't to identify this child as a Hebrew child or an Egyptian child 
or any of the other nations that might have been living in Egypt at that time. But Paro's first reaction was a human one. Here's a human baby. And she put two and two together, because who else would put the baby in a basket down the Nile to try to save it other than the Hebrews? Because surely she must have known the decree of her father. And yet she disobeys it. And she's mishpacha. But she disobeys. And she doesn't just disobey, but she hires the baby's mother and sister to take care of it. Also chutzpah. And she's not alone, but Pharaoh. When she's bathing at the river, she is accompanied by the court. Her maids of honor are there and slaves. Surely, if she was taking this baby, who she identifies as a Hebrew baby, and brings it under her care, she might have been worried that somebody else that was there would gossip about it or would snitch on her. She does this with great risk. And she brings Moshe under her care and provides for him. Think of the irony. Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh's daughter is the one who thwarts Pharaoh's designs. Not only does she thwart Pharaoh's designs, but she saves and supports and raises the person who would become the redeemer of the people of Israel. And with God, see to the destruction of Israel in order to bring about, I'm sorry, the destruction of Egypt in order to bring about Israel's redemption. That's the second example of rebellion, resistance, and support. And the third, maybe not of rebellion and resistance, but certainly of support, comes from Zipporah and Yitro. Zipporah, who becomes Moshe's wife, and Yitro, his father-in-law, the Midianite priests. At the well, when Moshe is escaping Egypt, he sees an injustice, and he's compelled to respond. The first two responses that he has against injustice are against his own people. Here, he doesn't know these people. They're not his people. But this tells us something about Moshe and his standard of humanity and justice. He sees injustice, he responds. He can't stand idly by. And so he marries, he encounters God. But Yitro becomes one of his most important advisors and supporters. So important is Yitro that he has a Torah portion named after him. And not just any Torah portion, the Torah portion in which the Aseret Hadibrot, the Ten Commandments, are given. Yitro is not Jewish, and yet his name is recalled to this very day in the Parsha in a few weeks that we'll read when we receive the Ten Commandments. Moshe has no Parsha named after him. Of course, we'd refer to the whole Torah as Torah, you know, from Moshe, so to speak. But no specific Parsha. The third 
example of support and resistance to Pharaoh and to his anti-Semitism and his totalitarian regime. Now, what do you notice about all three examples? They're all women. They're all women. And none of them are Jewish or Israelite, if we're going to stay historically accurate. They're all people in the larger community. And we have them today, too. Caroline de Amor, if you went to the rally in Ottawa, you might remember her. Pink hair. She goes, she goes by, she's known as the pizza lady, right? Because she owns a pizza joint in California. Um, she writes, I am a Malibu Italian with zero agenda. I have friends on both sides of this Middle East conflict and friends who are currently there giving me details. The one thing that I can say is I'm not highly educated on the long history. I'm doing my best to learn. But the undeniable facts are this. I am not seeing Israeli soldiers marching young girls through the streets, pulling them by their hair after they have just been raped. I'm not seeing Israeli soldiers spitting on the bodies of young women that they just killed. I'm not seeing the Jewish people ripping off posters of baby hostages. And I'm not seeing groups of Jewish people marching in the streets saying death to entire community. So as somebody on the outside, I can tell you that is freaking terrifying and I am so scared. I can also tell you I was scared to send my daughter to school and that wasn't because of the Jewish people. Mayor Chow, after the um, firebombing at, ID, at, the, at IDF, at the International Delicatessen um, Food, um, came out with a very strong statement and is working with the police, who, as we've noted before, Toronto Police Service have been fantastic in coordinating and cooperating and collaborating with the Jewish community in order to maintain our safety and sense of security. And then there are others too. Stephen Del Duca, Mayor Vaughn, James Patronak, Councillor of Ward 6, Stephen Lecce, who's the, the PC Education Minister of the province, Roman uh, Baber, former PC leadership candidate, very, very strong in his condemnation and warning about how anti-Semitism left unchecked will lead to more bombings such as this. God forbid someone should be hurt, poo, poo, poo. And there are profound voices on the university campuses as well, though we don't always hear about it because the negative voices in the public square on social media and on university campuses is so loud and takes the attention of the press and fills our um, social media streams. We don't hear these voices, but they exist. Like Liam Najami, who's a 21-year-old Israeli Arab Muslim woman. In a recent article in the Times of Israel, she wrote, Americans and the rest of the world are used to hearing arguments from Jews and sometimes tend to ignore them. We, meaning people like her, Arab, Israeli, Muslim women, can present arguments and stories from someone who is not a Jew and yet strongly explain and deliver the truth about Israel. 
The point is, there are a lot more voices out there supporting us than we think. And we have to pay more attention to them and lift them up and work with our non-Jewish friends and colleagues and business partners and relationships and alumni associations and find those who are willing to speak up and to tell the truth and to support the Jewish people and Israel at this time. We need to build relationships with more and we have to lift those voices up for ourselves as well as for the larger community. And we need to ensure that we have those voices of allyship of those in leadership positions and positions of influence, which is why I am wholly disappointed that Canada is currently taking a pass on supporting Israel in the International Court of Justice on these crazy charges that South Africa is trying to bring about genocide in Gaza. By the way, if you don't know, when you use civilians as human shields, when you use civilian infrastructure, hospitals and mosques and schools and refugee relief organizations as your basis of operations and build tunnels underneath them, they lose, according to international law, their protection as safe zones. And they become legitimate targets in, 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 a, in the theater of war. So it is awful the number of Palestinians, innocent Palestinians, that are being caught up in this. But no one should imagine for a moment that Israel is behaving irresponsibly, immorally, or illegally in attacking these sites. Hamas bears the full responsibility for initiating this war, for crossing a border, for murdering 1,400 people, and for injuring thousands more, and then using their own people by their own words as human shields in order to protect themselves to continue to fight Israel. Period. End of story. The fact that anyone, especially South Africa, would have the chutzpah to bring a claim of genocide against Israel in the International Court of Justice is exactly as others have said, a blood libel. And it harkens back to the same charges that we started this conversation with in the, in the Parsha of even what Egypt 4,000 years ago tried to do to the Jewish people. That doesn't excuse Israel from always trying to do as much as it possibly can to minimize the innocent loss of life. But when you're dealing in an area such as Gaza, and you're dealing with an enemy such as Hamas, if you don't have an alternative way to fight this war, my feeling is keep quiet. Because anything you're going to say is going to be delegitimizing of the Jewish people and of Israel. And for Canada to stay silent at this moment, where it has spoken up in defense of others that have been charged wrongly, I think is really worrisome. 
And if you share that feeling with me, make sure you let all of your elected officials know, especially in the federal government, that you want Canada to speak in support of Israel against this charge in the International Criminal Court. Because here's what happens, right? If we stay silent, and if others stay silent, then there's an implicit message that maybe there is genocide that's going on. And all the people that are in the streets that are saying we need a ceasefire to end the genocide, how can we legitimately confront them and say no if our own country is unwilling to take a stand on what it knows to be correct? It's a problem. We have to let our leaders know that we expect them to stand with their ally Israel and to fight back against these specious claims. And let's remind them of Shifra and Pua. Let's remind them of the impact of Bat Paro. Let's remind them of Tsipora and Yitro. That they, if they take these actions, both our government officials and our other allies will actually go down in history like these names from the Bible 4,000 years later we are still recalling. The voices of righteousness and of right will be named millennia later. Those who are silent in the face of evil will ultimately be forgotten. Shabbat Shalom.